Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Amen. Well, good morning again, friends. As we continue our sermon series through the book of Ephesians, our scripture passage for today is Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. If you want to turn there with me or pull it up on your device or follow along on the screen as I read. Hear God's word. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of this day, for the gift of worship, of coming into your presence, of hearing your word. And we pray now, loving God, that you would speak to us, that you would do what only you can do in us and through us. We pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in high school, I went to this huge concert in my hometown. And I, wanna, I want to tell you about the concert. I want to tell you who I saw at the concert. But I need you to promise that you're not going to judge me. Okay? When you hear who I saw, I need you to promise you will keep listening to the sermon. All right? All right? Okay, so when I was in high school, I saw the boy band in sync. Okay? I know. I know what you're thinking. I have great musical taste. Thank you. I appreciate that. But I remember I was, I was 17 years old and in this massive football stadium, crammed with people. And everybody is there to see this one band. Everybody is there for this one musical act. It's amazing, really, if you think about it, how, how music pulls people together. In fact, fan bases have their own names. So Taylor Swift fans are called Swifties. Did anyone know that? Justin Bieber fans are called Beliebers. You're welcome for that piece of info. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett fans are called Parrot Heads. Any Parrot Heads here with us? 
I see you in the back. <laughs> but it's not just music that brings people together. Sports, sports teams bring people together from all over a city, all over a region and the country. These different folks are coming together and they all wear the same colors. They all know the same fight songs, the same chants. They all have the same common enemies, the same rival teams. You got cheeseheads up in Wisconsin and Red Sox Nation. During the, the Broncos Super Bowl run, we were united in orange. You remember that? When the Cubs finally won the World Series in 2016, it felt like everybody in the country was a Cubs fan, right? Well, well almost everybody. There were, <laughs> there were some sad Cleveland fans. Again, <laughs> there's a Cleveland fan in the choir, so I'll apologize later for that dig. <laughs> but it's not just sports that brings people together. Hobbies and, and common interests Biking, climbing, cooking, board games. I got an invitation last week to be part of a hiking with babies group. Hiking is bringing people together. Even babies are coming together. And there are a lot of causes, a lot of interest, common issues that matter so deeply to people. And as they join in, as they try to make a difference in the world, as they try to create change, these friendships form as they rally together. Now, as great as all of those things are, what happens when we want something more? When we want a deeper connection? What happens when we find ourselves stuck in places of, of isolation, or loneliness, and all of the shared hobbies and sports in the world can't bring us together. Where do we go? Where do we turn? Today I want us to see this truth. Nothing unites like the name of Jesus. Nothing. Because the name of Jesus has power. Power to heal. Power to restore power to renew, power to bring together. Nothing unites like the name of Jesus. Jesus, the one who draws near to us in his mercy and grace, drawing us, each of us, into his family, no more alone. Jesus, the one who offers forgiveness to the sinner and love to the unlovely. Jesus, the one who draws us into God's story. Jesus is the one, the only one, who can bring us together. Church, nothing unites like the name of Jesus. For Christ is our head and we are his body. That's the image in our passage today in the book of Ephesians. Here again, verses 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Christ is our head. He is the one, the only one, who can make us one, who can truly bring us together. As we saw last week, a huge theme in the book of Ephesians is unity, oneness in Christ. And the New Testament authors point to this reality that something new is happening in Jesus. 
Old divisions are falling away. Dividing lines are being erased. Relationships that seemed beyond repair, they're being made whole in Jesus. Reconciliation is happening around dinner tables and as people gather and worship around the Lord's table. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in another letter, this time to the church in Galatia, he writes these stunning words. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is absolutely revolutionary. Look at what Jesus does. Nothing unites like the name of Jesus. Nothing. In the early church, they were experiencing this reality. The body of Christ was made up of rich and poor, slave and free, men and women, young and old, Jews and Gentiles. Was it hard at times? Was it messy living in that community? I'm sure, I'm sure it was. But they were experiencing Jesus doing something in their midst. The gospel unleashed in a community the spirit of the living God, uniting unlikely people. Now maybe at at this point in the sermon, you wanna raise your hand and say, excuse me, what are you talking about? (laughs) Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you wanna raise an objection, you wanna cry foul because your experience has shown something different. Nothing unites like the name of Jesus? What about all the denominations that exist? What about the history of Christian groups fighting each other, persecuting each other? What about the literal wars that have been fought in the past between Christian groups? During the civil rights era, Martin Luther King Jr. famously noted how appalling it was the most segregated hour in America was 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I was reading this past week about a movement during the 1960s to see churches no longer segregated in the South. And through a series of what was called kneel-ins, often young black college students would come to the steps of a segregated church, a segregated white church seeking to, to worship with their fellow Christians. And some churches would respond and invite them in. But other churches would block the doors, lock the doors, and deny them entrance. This image that will come up in a moment is from the cover of a book entitled The Last Segregated Hour. And it highlights the kneelings that took place in the 60s in Memphis, Tennessee. I want you to look at that picture for a moment. You see the men and women kneeling there. And there are church members standing in front of them, arms folded across their chest, staring down at them, blocking their entrance. And I can't look at this picture without getting a lump in my throat and tears in my eyes. How tragically and sinfully those white churches in the South missed the heart of Jesus. And how did these churches so miss the heart of Jesus? How have Christians 
through history missed the heart of Jesus. And we have to be honest and ask, how have, how have we at times missed the heart of Jesus? And these questions, they, they lead us to confessing our sin, to repentance, to seeking forgiveness from those whom we have wronged. These questions lead us to turn back again to the heart of Jesus because we see Jesus' heart for his church. We see it so clearly in John 17. Pastor Tim talked last week about this prayer of Jesus. Right before Jesus was betrayed, arrested, before Jesus died for us, he prayed for us. And in his prayer, he reveals his heart to us. He prays to the Father that we would be one. John 17, 22 and 23, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' desire is for unity that we would come together, that our fellowship together, that our community together would be a witness to a watching world, that Jesus is Lord and there is no other, that our witness together would show the world who Jesus is, that we would come together as a body of Christ, young and old, rich and poor, black and white, all races revealing the love of God, this God who is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the good news is, my friends, nothing unites like the name of Jesus. Nothing. And maybe this is where your cynicism maybe starts to rise a little bit, or, or your skepticism. Okay, you want to say naive pastor up there. Let's talk real world. How can that really happen? How can old wounds really be healed? How can dividing lines truly be erased? How can reconciliation ever happen? Five words. I have five words for you. By the power of God. We are talking about the mighty strength of God. In our passage, the Apostle Paul says to the Christians in Ephesus, I'm so thankful for you. He says in verse 16, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Friends, something powerful happens when we just start praying for each other. And Paul hits his knees praying because he wants these brothers and sisters in Christ to know God, to know the hope they have in Jesus, to know the, the future they have in Jesus, and to know God's power, to know it, not, not just head knowledge, like tell me the facts, but experiential knowledge. To not just hear about it, talk about it, but experience it. Friends, the Christian life is not just a bunch of of ideas to be tossed around. We're not just the, the good ideas, people. The Christian life is meant to be experienced, lived, life with God, to experience unity, not just to talk about it. And Paul says, I want you to know the power of God. And how can we know? How can we know God's power? 
How can we know that God's power can make a difference here and now? Because on the third day, when all hope seemed lost, when it looked like the powers of darkness had won, when it seemed like death would reign forever, God raised Jesus from the dead. On that third day, friends, God raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him. There is no loneliness like the grave. And if God can break into that isolation, God can get to you. God can draw you in. Here again, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, Paul prays that we would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This Jesus, our Jesus, who suffered and died, who was raised to life, who was exalted. This Jesus is the one, the only one, who can make us one. And scripture tells us that God's power is made perfect in weakness. And so when, when we don't see a way, when we don't even know where to start, we look to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one enthroned above all, above every other power, every so-called rival claimant to the throne, every evil force in our world, every name, the name of Jesus is above them all. And there's no dethroning this king, this good king, this kind king, this suffering king, the king who died for you. There's no usurping his power ever. In this age, in the age to come, Jesus is above all. This is the one we worship. Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the, on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and has given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, our Jesus, is above all. And God has placed everything under his feet, making him the head of all things and the head of the church. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him, which means this, Jesus fills his body, he fills us with his presence. He fills us, the church. And he gathers us in. You picture this table. Jesus draws us together. Jesus at the head of the table, drawing people in, setting a place for them. And people come from the east and west, north and south. Followers of Jesus from Mongolia and Mexico, Kenya and Brazil. Brothers and sisters in Christ who are chronically homeless, refugees, businesswomen, and retirees, six-year-olds and 86-year-olds, prostitutes and tax collectors, prodigals and runaways, all by his grace draw near, and he fills us with his presence. That's why nothing unites like the name of Jesus. We're talking about the fullness of Jesus filling us.
How do dividing walls ever come down? How can we truly live as family together? How can we name wrongs and start to forgive each other? How can we truly know each other, pray meaningfully for each other, trust one another enough to apply scripture to each other's lives? How can we move towards people in the body who are different from us? Talk differently, vote differently, act differently, think differently. How can we move from me to we? Five words. I have five words for you. By the power of God. By the power of God. It's not our good manners. It's not because we have some sort of common background. It's not because we're united and orange. Go Broncos. (laughs) It's not because we just avoid talking about the hard stuff. The one, the only one who can make us one is Jesus Christ. My friend works at a church staff in another state and she had some women in in her church who were at this relational conflict, this, this impasse. And so they met with my friend. And at their first meeting, they they started by opening up God's word and reading scripture together and praying and listening for God's voice. Yes, we'll we'll get to the relational issues. We'll we'll talk about that. We'll bring that out into the light. But right now, we're going to start by reminding ourselves, by remembering that we are one in the Lord. Nothing unites like the name of Jesus. And so I want you to try something this week. Move towards someone in the name of Jesus. Move towards someone in the, in the name of Jesus. Maybe someone who looks different from you. Someone from a different generation. Maybe someone you have written off in the past. Or someone that you don't know. Move towards them this week. Ask them their name. Ask them how you can pray for them. Ask them their story and listen to what they share. Move towards someone this week in the name of Jesus. For church, nothing unites like the name of Jesus. Nothing, nothing. I was at a concert a couple of weeks ago. It was not for a boy band, in case you were worried at this point. (laughs) It was for singer-songwriter Sarah Groves. And she told the story of the cellist of Sarajevo. During the Bosnian War, in the midst of horrific devastation, this man went out after these bombings and attacks, and he went out into these public spaces, and he played his cello. Sometimes it was the day after a bombing, and he would go to the the very site of the attack, and dressed in his formal wear, He would play the most beautiful song. It was beauty in the midst of rubble. And it gave people hope. They would go to hear him play even at at risk to their own lives. They went out to hear this contrary song. As I heard Sarah Groves tell this story, she likened it to our role as Christians. We go out playing our song. We go out into this world playing our gospel song. We lift high the name of Jesus. 
In the bombed out areas of our world, we play our gospel song, for the bombs are falling around us every day, aren't they? People sowing seeds of discord, the temptation to to choose fear over love. But we followers of Jesus, we go out following our king. We go out playing our gospel song, only Jesus can unite us. Only Jesus can bring us together. We move towards others in the name of Jesus. And so hear these words now from our Lord, from our master. This is Jesus' prayer for us. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world hates them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that we, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will keep making you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. To God be the glory. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would make us one. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.